Hey, Mark. How's it going? Good to see you again. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here for this meeting. Yeah, it's good to have you. Let's uh, have a little sit down here. Uh, Ryan should be coming in any second now. And Yeah, so it'll be good to meet him. I'm excited to work with this director. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Hey, guys. It's going pretty well. I'm excited to be here. You know, the project finally feels real now that we're getting this close. How are you guys doing? You excited? Hello, Mr. Johnson. I've only heard good things about you. Yeah, I'm Mark. Obviously, I'm a lifelong Star Wars fan. Huge fan of yours. Huge fan of Luke Skywalker, the character. Have some great ideas. I mean, we can do anything. I mean, think about the end of The Force Awakens. I mean, you're such a big character that that hack J.J. Abrams did nothing with. You just turned around and looked really old into the camera. Are you excited for to be a, like the main character? Well, I, I don't know how much you know about my movies, but I'm not very good hey, Mark, at speaking. Hey, Mark, hey, so, hey, let's so, just get uh, Ryan's take on this. Uh, I just gonna, well, we've heard from you a lot lately, and that's fine. I still want to get your opinion, but I just want to get since Ryan's but, new to the show, I want to get his opinion here. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you bringing me in. I really appreciate you giving me the floor here. So here's what I'm thinking, you know, we're going to continue the story. Ray is the last Jedi. Ray is the titular character here. Well, now, you know, hold on, hold on, Mark. Luke is obviously a big part of that. He's going to okay. train. He's going to be like, well, here, Mark, how about this? Think about it this way. You, you remember Obi-Wan, how he was like your master? Yes. Now you're going to be the Obi-Wan. Do you like that? You like that? Well, well... Actually, I'm kidding. You're kind of the Obi-Wan, but you're also a dick now. So but, basically, well, you tried to murder your nephew, and then you became kind of a reclusive, and you've done nothing. You've done nothing of importance for well, like 30 years. I think that'd be really excuse great. Excuse so? me. Excuse me, Mr. Johnson. If I could just get one word in here, I just want you to know, and I will release this hey, to Mark, the press. Mark, I Mark, fundamentally please, Mark. disagree with everything you're doing with this character, and now that I've said my piece... I'm a professional. It's my job as an actor to go on and execute your vision. But this will be get this will get released to the press. That's great, Mark. But here's the catch. If you're going to do that, that's fine. Just make sure you're totally cordial on camera and you don't mention any of your weak little bitch problems until the movie's done where you can kick me while I'm down. Does that sound good to you? Does that sound good to you, Mark Hamill? Well, I'll do you one even better. After a few years removed, I'll even go on to say I regret making those comments. You know what? I'm not casting you in Knives Out. I was going to make you the lead role, but not, no more. No more. That's impossible! Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three master codebreakers with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined by my best friends in the entire galaxy, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Another week coming to a close. We're in spooky season. So like we've joked, I feel like so many times at this point, it's only, I think, the timing is right to talk about The Last Jedi for so many people. I know this is one you've been excited for for a long yeah, time. I have been. Whenever we first started the Star Wars series and we made it bi-weekly, I knew it would take a long time to get to Last of Jedi, but I'm excited. I feel like any episode we do, I'm always a bit more interested in the controversial stuff. I feel like it leads to better conversation. So I have my thoughts. I'll save them until we get into it. But just so the audience knows, I think this is going to be a good one. Speaking of controversy, I think we may have some with Keith this episode. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, you know, 
thinking about this episode now, well, I, I don't know. I want to save it for later, but my thoughts have changed on this episode. Oh, okay. I had a lot of hate towards it, and there's a little bit less hate now. Mm. So It's good to see you can grow as a person. And just like your yeah. personal growth, Keith, our show is actually seeing quite a bit of growth. So we just want to say a quick thank you to everyone that's been tuning in every week. And if you want us to be able to continue to grow, please continue to subscribe and share the show with your friends. That's the best way to help us out as we continue to grow the show. Yeah, like Austin said, we've been seeing lots of traction, which has been exciting for us. We're excited that all of you out there are listening. And yeah, we have lots of great stuff for the rest of the year. So stay tuned. All right. Well, enough of that. Let's get into our show. On today's show, our month of spooks continues. We'll be discussing the scariest movie in the Star Wars <laughs> franchise, Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. And I'm happy to announce that after many weeks absent from our show, Mark Hamill is back and he's whinier than ever. No. Matt, give us some thoughts so we can get right to it. <laughs> well, here's my first thought. Mark Hamill's great in this movie, guys. Do we agree on that? I feel like... I just, I just, he's fantastic. Okay, this good. is his best okay, Star good. Wars movie. Keith, do you think at least, the, we'll get into some issues people have, but do you think the performance is good here from Marky Mark? Yeah, I think the performance is pretty good. I mean, his character's got some issues, definitely, but... I think it's a good performance. He definitely deserves uh, Mark Hamill's most improved award. Oh my gosh, this will be the second time he gets it after getting it for Empire. Yeah, uh, just general thoughts, I guess. Like we've already said, there's few, I wouldn't even say movies. I feel like if you just say, if you walk up to like a random person on the street and go, what's the most controversial piece of media you can think of? I feel like over 50% of people would say The Last Jedi, just because it's still kind of recent and... Star Wars is like the most popular, well-known franchise of all time, and somehow they made a movie that pissed off at least half the audience. So, yeah, I gotta say, even though I really, really liked this movie when I first saw it in theaters, this was only my second time seeing it, and I still liked it. I don't know what to say. I I gotta say, even after this time watching it, I I genuinely struggle to see why it's viewed as so bad by so many people like sure there there are problems with it there is dumb stuff in it but for some people this movie is like no joke and not being hyperbolic it's like the worst thing that's ever happened to them <laughs> it's like their childhood has been ruined and i just don't really get it so I'm, I'm excited to break it down so maybe we can understand all the sides of the arguments here yeah and don't worry we have plenty of time set aside to get into that backlash Let's get right into our movie facts segment. Um, let's run through our cast. This week, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the production just because we do have to get to that backlash. And I feel like that is going to occupy a lot of minutes in this episode. Um, but our cast, we have Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher as Leia, Daisy Ridley as Rey, John Boyega as Finn, Oscar Isaac as Poe, Adam Driver back as Kylo Ren, Kelly Tran as Rose, Laura Dern as Vice Admiral Hodo. And Benicio del Toro as DJ the Codebreaker. Yeah, DJ. I honestly characters. didn't know his name <laughs> DJ. was DJ until I looked at IMDb <laughs> and saw that he wasn't just called the Codebreaker. I don't think they ever say it. And this movie is also written and directed by Ryan Johnson and scored by John Williams. Yeah, I guess I don't have to spend too much time on the cast. I'll just give some general thoughts. I feel like everybody, and I mean everybody that returns, is better in this movie. I feel like maybe not all of them have more 
interesting or sometimes fun stuff to do, but I feel like all the performances here are really solid and really engaging. And I really liked how they paired off certain characters in unexpected ways and how they played off each other. Um, and then people like Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill especially, who was barely in the last movie, it was nice to see them back as these classic characters in much bigger roles. As for some of the new people, I know that's where some of the controversy comes in. I love Laura Dern. I love Benicio Del Toro. I love Kelly Marie Tran. I think um, they're, I guess, just by the fact that they were introduced in this second movie, they kind of are sidelined a bit in favor of the main characters, which makes sense. I like Kelly Marie Tran. She gives a good performance. I have some issues with the character, especially towards the end. Benicio Del Toro, like I said, who I love, this performance is weird to say the least I it's think so weird it, there's yeah. some odd things here i always appreciate when actors go for it and commit to something and i would say at least his performance is consistent it's just weird <laughs> but we'll get to that and laura dern i think is great in the movie again weird yeah. stuff with her character that even me someone that likes this movie can't explain but again i feel like it at the least i can say the performances are all great except benisa del toro which is just weird <laughs> I'll go one step further with Laura Dern. She's my favorite part of this movie. I think she's so good here. Ugh. No. Yeah, I, I have issues with... The, <laughs> I have one issue with that character. It doesn't really make sense to bring it up now, so we'll get to it when we get to it. I, I love the performance, but there's just one aspect of that character that is still kind of baffling to me, even after watching it again. So we'll get there. But she's great. And I, I really liked what you said about how everybody is better from The Force Awakens and has something to do. I agree with what you say that they don't always have the most exciting things to do. But I, I think what I like about this movie is every single main character in this movie has something important to do that yeah. drives the story forward. And I think that's really well done. Um, and somebody that did not do very well in The Force Awakens. Yeah, it kind of felt like in The Force Awakens, it was just everybody was together on the same journey, but just because they were all together didn't mean that they all had interesting roles. Like Finn, I mean, he, he it was cool that he was this renegade stormtrooper, but after he kind of got out of there at the beginning of the movie, he's just tagging along with Rey. It's not like he has a cool role or anything. So again, I know people have problems with what Finn and Rose do in this movie, but at least it was important. So, you know, I guess there's a side to everything. What about you, Keith? What do you think of the cast, the characters, all that jazz? I don't want to skip too far forward because I definitely do have some issues with Finn in this movie more so than Force Awakens. I think I liked him a little bit better in Force Awakens, actually. I liked his intro in that movie. I liked his story. And I thought they could have done a lot better with him in this one, but they just kind of sent him on this weird, odd mission that could have amounted to something but really didn't in the end. Yeah. So it was kind of... It was, yeah. it's kind of, it was kind of pointless, and you were kind of hoping for a happy ending with him, but it really wasn't that much of a happy ending with him. So uh, I was kind of disappointed in that. Yeah, I guess, and like Austin said, we'll have to break down the backlash. But I guess before we even get to that, we have to – we didn't really talk about it too much with Force Awakens because it was the first movie in this trilogy. But as now we move on and we're going to have to talk about it even more with Rise of Skywalker, it's just so – it's so apparent that whatever your thoughts are on Last Jedi, there was no plan – Whenever they started Force Awakens, they did not have scripts or ideas written that lasted three movies. It was basically like J.J. did his, and then while he was doing his, Ryan was putting his together. And while he was putting his together, Colin Trevorrow did nine. They kicked him out and then brought J.J. back and he did it. So it's it's going to get even more jumbled. Um, I think with Finn, for example, I've always said this even since seeing The Force Awakens. Whenever they revealed that he was still alive at the end of that movie, I was partially like, why? I feel like Finn has an amazing arc over The Force Awakens. And honestly, 
even though he does some weird stuff in Last Jedi, I don't know what the alternative was. It's like the only other thing they could have done is just had him wake up before Rey leaves and they go together, which would have just, he and Chewie would have just hung out in the Falcon. Chewie's barely in this movie. They would have just sat together. It's funny you say that because the plan originally was going to be like, JJ makes this movie. JJ then works with Ryan on the second movie. Then Ryan works with the following director on a third movie. Um, but they weren't really allowed to ask the other directors to make changes to fit their story. Like, for example, the only change Ryan was allowed to ask JJ to make was that he swaps the dro- the droids at the end of the movie. So originally, BB-8 was going to go with Rey to Luke's Island, but Ryan wanted R2 to go to Luke's Island. That way they could have their reunion. And so that was like the only change he was allowed to ask for. And originally, hmm. this was a change Ryan Johnson made on his own. Originally, this movie was going to open with with Finn waking up from his like surgery yeah and that's just weird frankly i mean if you're putting something like star wars a full trilogy together it's like i feel like there should have been a bit more collaboration i know it must have been tough because as far as back as i remember whenever they the original original plan was they asked jj abrams to write and direct all three of these and he said that he didn't want to spend that much time he would do the first one and then they got some other great writers and directors involved but like austin said i don't know where even though JJ said he wouldn't do all three, I don't know why that meant they had to change so much, which meant like the directors couldn't collaborate for some weird reason. Um, and yeah, like I said, once we get to Rise of Skywalker and we can kind of view all three of these in one kind of fell swoop, it's just weird. Whether you like these movies or not, this is a weird trilogy in terms of how they fit together and how they don't. All right, well, let's get into this reception and the backlash. Um, this movie comes out and makes $1.3 billion worldwide against a $317 million budget. So despite all the backlash, this was actually the most successful film of 2017. It launches to a 90% critical score yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. And with the critics, this movie is a hit. They appreciate the willingness to take risks. Um, and they felt that the franchise was finally trying to do something new after many years of repeating the same plot stuff over and over. Um, they found the new characters compelling and they felt the old characters were taken to new heights. They enjoyed the Snoke twist and felt that it made the movie unpredictable. And finally, they felt that this film has some of the best visuals in the franchise and the film was further praised for great action, humor, and character development. And George Lucas himself called the film beautifully made. Yeah, we can't trust George Lucas though, because like as we've <laughs> joked already, like he he said the same thing about Force Awakens, and then for years, as far as we could no, tell, no, 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 like, with Force Awakens, he just said, "I liked it." Right, but I guess my point is, it, <laughs> se- it seemed like for a long time, it's like, oh, he actually appreciated Last Jedi, and then now people are saying he hated it and made him sick. That could just be clickbait. Who knows? We can't t- we can't trust George anymore. <laughs> but so should we break down kind of how we feel about those general critic reactions? Like, what do you guys agree with and disagree with some of what they said? Oh uh, yeah, as far as the visuals, yeah, I think the visuals are fine. There was some really cool space fights in this one. Not as cool as the last film, and not as and not as cool as Revenge of the Sith, but still pretty cool, I guess, nonetheless. And then um oh the Snoke twist, yeah, I think I like that too. I wasn't really expecting that in the when I was watching this for the first time, so I kind of like that. Still don't know where Snoke came from and why he's, like, not that strong. So, yeah, Keith, I agree with you. I think really the only thing I disagree with is that I really like everything the critics say, and for the most part, I agree with everything. I just don't think this is the best visuals in the franchise. I think for that honor, I'm going I'm to stick with Rogue One for that one. I don't know. I think in some ways it is, some ways it isn't. I think while, like... 
I, I, I guess I agree. I mean, yeah, we get some cool space fights and we get cool use of visual effects with aliens and some of the worlds. And in some ways, it's more impressive. Like, I, I really like the way Kanto Bite looks from the outside. I like the way it looks on the inside. But then there's always something I don't like. I don't love... It feels like specifically how CG the aliens look is a bit more akin to the prequels than Force Awakens. So it's kind of jarring to see this really beautiful world that was so different than anything we've ever seen in this franchise. And then we get inside and there's just this weird, like, extremely CG aliens, for example. But, like, the space fights I thought were cool. Like, is the choreography itself super impressive? No. But, like, I love the way... It's certainly not as impressive as The Force Awakens or even Rogue One, but I, I I love the way the explosions look. I like the way the blasters look. I like the way... I don't know. I, I guess maybe I felt more, if that makes sense. So maybe while it's not as much of a visual spectacle at times, I did feel that I was more interested in what was happening, for example. Um, but yeah, I, I think I agree with what you guys are saying more so than the critics there. As for some of the other stuff they said, I do, and not all of it, but I do enjoy some of the humor here. It does it does feel a bit different than we're used to with Star Wars, but for me, that's fine. I mean, different characters have different styles of humor. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I liked a lot of the character development. Again, with this movie, we're going to talk about a lot. It's not all there. It's not all perfect. But for the most part, I was impressed with how they moved characters along. And certainly, it was not what we expected in terms of how Star Wars usually operates. So that was appreciated. And I like the Snoke twist. Obviously, they said more, but I'll leave it there for now. I think for the most part, I agree with them. But of course, I do have some issues with it. I think this might have the best humor in the Star Wars franchise, this movie. Yeah, and not to be like a, you know, that kind of person, but it's not really that hard. I mean, I I, I enjoy Star Wars as a franchise as a whole. I have a lot of nostalgia for it, but... I don't ever usually find it funny. I mean, Han Solo and Chewie have some fun interactions, but in terms of humor, it's almost not there. And when the prequels tried it, it was just like a cringe fest for most of it. So I enjoy flying, but what you're doing is suicide. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I, I thought- that's, that was their humor <laughs> at the prequels. And so here it's kind of has to be better, ideally. All right. So let's discuss the backlash. Uh, so like we said, this was a hit with the critics. However, if you look at the audience score for Rotten Tomatoes, it's it's at a 50% where the critics was a 90. Um, and today it's actually dropped to 43%. A portion of the internet review bombed this movie upon release. Um, and they've also there have also been petitions to have this movie scrapped from the Star Wars canon and even removed from Disney+. So annoying, dude. So oh, who cares? Wow. And so here's, here's the things people hate. They hate the humor. They hate the reveal of Rey's parents. They hate Snoke's death. They hate Leia's use of the Force, and they don't like Rose's character. So they also hate the way Luke is used in this film. They don't like him trying to restart the Jedi like temples, basically, and they also really don't like his reveal that he tried to kill Kylo. Um, they also felt like Ryan ignored fan theories from oh, The Force Awakens off, on dude. purpose, um, and they've also accused him of hating Star Wars and making this movie out of spite. <laughs> Yes, I'm sure Ryan Johnson took his 10 plus million dollars and then said, you know what? I'm going to make a bad movie on purpose. These people are really digging in deep to this shit. <laughs> I think, and this is going to sound so like, what's the word? I don't know if arrogant or smug. I do think this movie, again, whether you like it or not, does require a bit more sympathy and empathy of different parts when it comes to characters and where they're at 30 years later than any of the other movies. I'm not saying everybody that hates this movie is an idiot or, like, isn't emotionally intelligent, if you know what I mean. But 
I do think this movie requires more from the audience. And maybe at times that's an issue. Maybe being a Star Wars movie, maybe it shouldn't. Maybe that's an argument that could be made. But for me, when it comes to a lot of these characters, Luke, I, I love the Luke stuff. And I know that's a hot take for this movie. But to me, it makes sense. And we'll break down why later. Um, some of the other things... Like, what were the other things, Austin? People didn't like Snoke's death, obviously. That's that's one I can understand a bit more, but we'll break that down, too. Rose's character, I think, is great. Again, like Holdo, which we'll get to later. But the Rose thing, I, I think she's a great character. I think she's fun. I don't understand the ending where Finn's about to sacrifice himself and her... She almost kills both of them <laughs> for no reason at the end of this movie. It's kind of ridiculous. And then she kisses him. And it's one of those things that we see in Bond movies and other big budget movies all the time, which is like the ending reveal, if you want to call it that, is I love you. And they kiss. And it's like, even Finn looks like, what's happening? <laughs> it, it's weird because they didn't set that up at all. Um, yeah. So I guess I guess at least with this movie, I, I think I might lean more towards the critics. I, I agree with some of what the fans are saying and disagree with some of what the critics are saying. But... Yeah, I think I just don't feel the same way, unfortunately. Yeah, I remember when I first saw this movie, I hadn't really seen the rest of the franchise in a long time, so I didn't really understand the backlash then. And now, after having rewatched the entire franchise for the show, I really don't understand the backlash because I appreciate that they tried to do new stuff. Like, I kind of, I'm honestly like i've been getting tired with the main movies of them reusing the same plot points over and over so i i really appreciate the new risk i like them trying to delve into what the force is what it means um i i kind of like that ryan tried to go that hey your parents aren't special in this movie i thought that was a really cool reveal too i even liked that when yeah. i saw it originally in the theaters um and like i've already said the humor worked for me uh snoke's death i think is great um i do agree that leia's use of the force looks really silly and is kind of pointless yeah, I, I love Leia's use of the Force. I love that we finally get to see Leia using the Force more than just, like, looking out to the horizon and saying, Luke? I like that we get more than that, because we've known since freaking Empire that she is Force-sensitive. <laughs> but again, I, I do wish that they could have found a way to show it off either in a cooler or just a more interesting way. Because here, it, I get what they were going for, ultimately... I just feel like there's no way that this doesn't come off as silly. It looks silly. And it did in the theaters. And it looks even worse now a couple of years later in terms of <laughs> the effects and just the idea of it. And the fact I hate that we're still questioning how the force works. I know Han Solo jokes about that in the last movie, but still it's like, I mean, wasn't she dead out there? Like she died and then she just doesn't because of the force. I don't know. Anyway, though, before we get too far, again, I'm not surprised that with this movie in particular, we're kind of going all over the place just because there's so much to talk about. But we probably should talk about right here, especially talking about kind of the critics thoughts and the backlash from fans and stuff. Where do you guys fall? I really like this movie. This is only the second time I've seen it. I have some issues we'll get to, but overall, I really like it. I kind of already said that, but you too, we haven't really seen or heard what your guys' general thoughts are. I'd love to hear them. I'll say, I mean, you know, when I initially saw this, I was really pissed off. I mean, I was pissed off at the Luke stuff. I was like, why did they make him do that? And yeah. I was pissed off at Rose and Finn's story, which I'm still kind of pissed off about. <laughs> um, pissed off at Leia doing her weird, cheesy uh, Star Trek thing, where she just goes out into like the middle of space and freezes and then comes back. Uh, but yeah, things have changed. I think I definitely like the Luke stuff a lot more now. It, and like you said, it does make sense now. Now watching it for the second or third time. 
Uh, so that definitely flipped. I mean, that was my main problem with it. So now that I like that, it definitely flips the script for me on this one. I remember when I first saw this, I remember not really caring either way about this film. But now I really like this movie. And I'll give this a little tease for a little later. But I had to make some unexpected changes to my Star Wars rankings. Oh. All right, well, let's go ahead and let's get into the movie now. And because this movie does cut all over the place, we're kind of going to stick with the main plot points and do them in their entirety. So let's first start with the First Order Siege of the Resistance Fleet, which is kind of our opening of the movie and will be like an ongoing plot point throughout the film. This is cool. This one, you get to see more of the hands-on X-Wing piloting, if that makes sense. Because a lot of the other ones, you see them flying and they're always like, it always just shows like a first person view or like or a camera like straight yeah, up view of their yeah. face like doing like yes re- yes red leader or no red leader and then <laughs> and then they're like yeah. woohoo and then some one of them like I'm hit and they die that's all you see but this one you actually get to see like uh like the piloting skills of Poe yeah, maneuvering the X wing which I thought was pretty cool yeah and I like that they're actually using tactics too like even with uh kind of the First Order siege of the Resistance fleet um, for the bulk of the movie, like the First Order knows that the Resistance ships are smaller and faster, so they can't keep up with them. And the Resistance knows that the First Order ships are heavier and more powerful, so they know exactly how to tailor their speed to be just out of range of the First Order's guns. So I like that we see more like tactical um, decisions being made in this movie on both sides. Yeah, for sure. I'm right there with you. I feel like this is kind of the prime example of what I talked about earlier. Is this sequence, this battle sequence or space, whatever you want to call it, is it as grandiose or cool looking as stuff from Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, or even Force Awakens? No, I don't think it is. But I felt way more here. I love the scene where there's only one bomber left. I Even on Poe's face, you can see the consequences of his actions. And it's just like... I like the idea that these cocky fighter pilots don't always knock it out of the park. Just going gung-ho into battle isn't always going to work. And I love, like I said, it doesn't look as cool as some of the other stuff, but the fact that we get to spend a little bit of time inside the last bomber as this person is Rose's older sister, as we come to find out, is trying to drop these bombs. And if she doesn't, they're screwed. And it's just so like tense with the music and the fact that she's fallen. She's basically already dead, but still kicking away to knock this button down, catches it, bombs drop. Like I, I loved the way, I guess the, a better way to put it is why I didn't always love the choreography. I just loved the sequence of events. And like he said, we get to spend time with the fighters and the people inside the ships, which we never get to do. So when they actually start exploding, it's like, oh, I actually feel something now, as opposed to every time in the past where it just randomly will cut to somebody in a cockpit we've never seen. They're like, oh, I'm going down. It's like, okay. <laughs> so this was a cool opening. I really, I really enjoyed it. And I love that Leia chastises Poe immediately because watching it this time, I'm like, this is a weird move. Like, Clearly, he's just a distraction. He's like, let's take it down. It's like, what? No, don't do that. (laughs) And then, inevitably, he gets a huge portion of their fleet and all their bombers killed. So it's like, yeah, he took out a dreadnought, but what's the cost? And it's, again, one of those examples whenever characters say, but what's the cost? It's like, I don't know. I wasn't there. You didn't show me. But here, we know exactly what it is. So I thought this was pretty effective. Yeah, and, and I love that they show you. I love that they show you that like little chart too of like of the fleet, and you see all the bombers mm-hmm. xing out one by one, and so you can oh, that was visually that was see great. the cost right there yeah. as well. Yeah, because we see Leia. I will say though, whoever's building these ships for the Empire in the First Order, you got to improve the armor, dude. The mm-hmm. your Death Star things get taken out in one hit. 
you can destroy the entire bombing fleet except for one and still lose your most powerful ship. I mean, come on. At some point, you got to reinforce yeah. your holes. Yeah, a little Their bit silly suck. that, uh, yeah. like, once Poe starts flying towards them, they're like, shoot them down. They're like, we can't. We're the dreadnought. The ship's too small for us to hit. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then they send their fighters out. But we also probably, before we go too far, we should probably talk about the first sequence of humor that I know pisses a lot of people off. And it's Poe calling General Hux to I give love him, it. like, the... Uh, the message and of course it turns out it doesn't matter what post saying he's just stalling in order to basically turn on this quick little boost of speed in order to actually get to the surface came into this dreadnought um yeah i loved it the first time i saw it this time i still loved it i wish they would have cut it off before the mom joke because that's kind of never been funny it's a joke we made in high school yeah and it's weird here I, I, it's not one of those things where I'm mad that a uh, your mom joke exists in Star Wars. I don't care about that. I just felt the scene was already really funny. The fact that Hux is this character that we've seen act basically as Hitler in the last movie, giving those types of speeches. And <laughs> now he's getting just prank called by Poe Dameron, who's already, we've seen be kind of a fun, funny, sarcastic character. So I love that. I just didn't love the final beat of it being like your mom joke. I, I just love Hux's reaction here though, too. Just it, It's so funny him walking up and down the bridge going, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Like you can just see it on his face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then so I great. love the second they lose, uh, one of the people's like, Snoke would like to talk to you. And he's like, mm, great. And then Snoke just comes on and just uses the force through this call and just beats <laughs> his ass and just shows that Hux is a puppet. Hux is nobody important. He may be high ranking, but he's like a shit version of Tarkin, basically. We would never see Vader ragdoll Tarkin around, but Snoke's like, this guy's a who cares? This guy fails all the time. Why do I keep him around? I'm just going to make a fool out of him in front of everybody. Yeah. Vader had actually had respect for Tarkin. Yeah. I mean, you can, we definitely see in this movie that no one has respect for him. <laughs> yeah. <It's> just... <laughs> yeah. No one likes Hux. No one cares about Hux. No one fears Hux. Okay. Well, let's jump forward slightly now. Um, eventually, First Order does track the Resistance through light speed um, and through a series of events. The bridge of the Resistance flagship is destroyed, but Leia does use the force to get back onto the ship. Admiral Akbar unceremoniously dies. I know everybody is so apparently in love with Admiral Akbar that they like had a fucking like they were like, how dare you kill Admiral Akbar? And it's like, I'm sorry, I guess maybe he was in a book or something. I don't care. Well, and he, he holds a very special place on our show, though, because he is our squid faced cuck. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. He did win that award a long time ago. Not by us. That was sent to us from a fan. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, I certainly remember whenever I was in theaters the first time and Leia got, um, like the cockpit got hit and she flew out. It was one of those things where I started thinking back to the trailers and I was like, did we see any more Leia? Have we seen all of Leia that we saw in the trailers? And I think at that point it was yes. So I was like, shit, I guess she dies. Um, certainly weird because at this point we already had known that Carrie Fisher had passed. So I was like, is this how... You know, they're leaving that character, and then no, it definitely is not. So yeah, what do you guys think of all this? Because I, I enjoyed it for the most part until we get to the Leia stuff. Yeah, this might have been a hot take, but I kind of wish they'd killed her. I think it would have been a more impactful scene here. I was just going to say, I think, it, I think it was a great opportunity to kill her off right there. I mean... I mean, I think it was it was the perfect intensity between Kylo, you know, with Kylo's uh, decision, and he killed his dad, so it's like might as well kill his mom. Too. Yeah. Well, and it would have added <laughs> that much more, uh, like, kind of gravitas to the First Order's presence, I guess, because they've killed off Han Solo. We've seen them be really brutal in the Force Awakens at times, um, and so now to have Leia be killed off in like the opening fifteen minutes of this film, I think also would have been pretty impactful too, just overall for the franchise. 
it is important to note that by the time Carrie Fisher had passed away, they had completely shot this movie. So it's yeah. not like at the time, whenever she flies out, like they had all these extra scenes. And I think we get to some great Leia stuff at the end of this movie. And I think they were kind of like, let's keep that in and we'll figure it out later because she had already passed. And, you know, they, had, they didn't know that when they were shooting. So it's kind of like they just kept what they had already shot. But, and we do know the original plan was they were going to have each of the main characters from the originals be a main character in one of these. So Han Solo was the lead of Force Awakens. Luke was supposed to be the lead of Last Jedi. And then Leia was supposed to be the lead of Rise of Skywalker. Obviously, that didn't work out. So it's just one of those weird things. So I get why she doesn't die. I, I do wonder if they kind of retroactively wished, oh, maybe we could have given her a cool death that way that would have, you know, been interesting, but didn't work out. So Leia is incapacitated. And this is when Admiral Holdo takes command of the Resistance fleet. Keith, you're shaking your head. Give me your thoughts on Holdo. There's something about her that I do like, but man, she, I don't know. Something about her, I like, don't, nothing against Laura Dern. I think Laura Dern's a good actress, but, um. I know what it is that you don't like about her, Keith. What? It's because she's got purple hair. No. Well, I did, I think, I did think that was kind of weird, but <laughs> no. She was just kind of really smug, which I thought really wasn't a, like a big characteristic of of uh, like republic or resistance people because most resistance people are known to be like kind of humble and and nice and all that but she was kind of smug but that's also what i kind of liked about her too is like okay she's kind of different she's kind of badass in her own way but she was also kind of cocky when it came to a lot of things especially with poe well they do kind of establish that she has this like legend about her for some of her previous yeah. Yeah. battle acts as well. So that maybe that could be feeding into her character's like kind of arrogance and cockiness. Which is why which is why I was okay with it because I at the beginning I was like why why is she so smug? Like it's pissing me off, but but now she's kind of a badass, so whatever. Yeah, I think it's also important to keep in mind that the only person that we really see her be that way to is Poe, and we will get to it later how I just feel like they get a bit inconsistent. Like she has this grand plan that we don't find out till the very end. And Poe's like, oh, that's a great plan. And then even when he's being carted off, she's like, you know, he's so cocky and arrogant like us. I like him. And uh, Leia's like, me too. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's- I actually really like that though. I I, I don't hate it. What I'm saying is it gets a bit inconsistent because they're so combative. And then she won't tell him this plan. And then at the end, like, I like him. And she goes off. I will say though, in general- She's only like that to Poe, and it is important to keep in mind that this guy just destroyed all of their bombers. 100% his fault, and he's been demoted. So whenever the second Holdo gets up there and he walks up to her to try and kind of talk to her like he would with Leia, I kind of I kind of get why she's like, fuck off. Who are you, Captain? Not Commander, right? I kind of like that. Because, like, why would she respect this guy? The, res- the resistance is already small, and he just lost them a shit ton of pilots and a bunch of bombers that could have been helpful later. Yeah, I also love that scene when, when Poe is like, Hey, we we need to fight back. We got to get our get our ships out there. And then Holdo goes with what our bombers. Oh, like, I, I, yeah, I, I love, love that, that scene. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Even Poe was like, "Oh shit, I forgot about that." <laughs> we are eventually introduced to Rose, who is a mechanic on the ship. Um, her and Finn quickly realize how uh, the First Order is tracking the Resistance forces, and they make this plan to go to Canto Bright, which is like a casino planet, um, and find the Master Codebreaker who can help them sneak on. To the first order ships and disable the first order's tracking devices. I like the beginning of this with um, when she thinks that Finn's trying to um, 
dessert. <laughs> or no, no, she thinks that he's just checking out the, just making sure the escape pods are in order, and she's like in awe of him because he's the Finn. And I love this scene where he tries to like get her to go away by like, may the force be with you. And I love the response, <laughs> like just. Oh wow, you too. <laughs> I love I love that somebody in this franchise <laughs> said that. I thought that was so funny. And then quickly realizes that actually he's trying to desert so he can go be with his precious Ray. And this might be a hot take, but I, I really like Canto Bright. I think it's cool. It's a planet we've never really seen before. It's a type of planet we've never really seen before in this universe. And I like how they establish that there are people who profit from this decades long war that's been going yeah. on in this galaxy. Kind of like how we talked about with Rogue One. It was like the first movie that really felt like it embodied the Star Wars title. I like that in this movie, they make a point that all these people are profiting off said war. I thought that was really interesting. And I agree with you. I, I don't really get the hate. If people don't like the Canto Bite story, I can understand that. But in terms of the design of the planet, I think it's really cool. And I always love seeing new designs in this series. Like I mentioned earlier, the only thing that I kind of rolled my eyes out a bit with some of the aliens just really felt like prequel CG designs. And there was some bits of humor that I just didn't find funny, but they did have a good payoff. For example, there's this really bad CGI alien that's, I guess, drunk and burping and farting and is putting coins into BB-8. And I was like, this is so stupid. But I do love the payoff later when BB-8 is like zooming all over the place and you hear the coins clinking around inside. Yeah. Like, okay, that's kind of funny. I don't understand the criticism of the story here because I think it is actually pretty interesting. I can understand though the criticism of how this sequence of events doesn't really fit into the overall sequence like it's very weird that finn and rose can just leave and go to an entirely different like solar system yeah they say they have 18 hours and it feels like a lot more time passes well i will say i did like the um uh, the the design of the planet it did kind of remind me of uh attack of the attack of the clones like when you go to coruscant mm-hmm. and obi-wan's down in the bar and he's getting a drink it kind of humanizes everything which i thought was cool they're in the, the Las Vegas of the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People are gambling and everything like that. So, it was, that was kind of cool. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really enjoy the, um, what are those things called? Like the big giant horse things. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing to mention. That went on a little bit too long for me. And they were out in the field. And they, I could you could definitely hear the Harry Potter theme playing in the background. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of that scene in Harry Potter whenever Harry rides that weird uh, Another horse-looking thing. Buck me. You, you could just hear it in the background, which is kind of corny yeah, and cheesy. So. I agree with you. I think it's tough because this movie is two and a half hours, and it does feel like it at times. I think this is an example. And it's tough because I am interested in kind of these smaller side effects of the war kind of these animals being treated this way and these young children being forced into slavery essentially to care for said animals and just work for nothing. I think it's all really fascinating and I like the payoff at the end. It's just, I guess like Heath said, whenever it's just a small part of this already smaller story than the main one, it is kind of like, should we have cut this out? Are we really losing anything major? And I think the answer is probably no. It leads to some sweet moments wherever we see this animal that's been abused for so long and Rose is able to calm it down. It's really actually good CG and kind of sweet. Um, But yeah, I think for the most part, probably not needed. What's happening with the resistance in the First Order is this ultimately more interesting. So every time we do cut away from it, it's like, yeah, this is cool, but I I really want to get back to see what's happening with the resistance. There's just more interesting storylines, I guess, is what it comes down to. So, All right. Well, let's take a break from the resistance and the First Order. And it's island time now, baby. We're on island time. We're taking a little vacation. Wow. And we're going to Octu. And we're going to meet Ryan Johnson's interpretation <laughs> of Luke Skywalker. I thought they did a pretty good job with Luke. Um, if you really think about it deep, 
everything he does in this movie goes along with what Luke Skywalker is. Because Luke Skywalker starts off with no hope, then he gains hope, then he loses it again, but then he finds it again. And then he's like, you know what? I'm just kind of like, I'm kind of done trying to live up to the Jedi text and all that. And he eventually gives up at the end. And I thought it was kind of cool that, um, I I might be skipping too far ahead here, but that Yoda comes in and kind of says, hey, it's okay. Like, it's not about the text. It's about the Force or whatever. Yoda also says, you keep harping on your failures as being the reason you put yourself on this island. But failure is what makes the people we teach better than us. And that's their destiny to be better than their masters. Failure is the best teacher. And it's like, well, wow, that's really cool. And I love how that directly leads to what he does at the end of the movie, which we'll get to. I also like how the only reason Luke agrees to train Rey is so that eventually she'll come to understand why the Jedi have to end. Like, I, I like that that's the only reason he agrees to do it. I think that's a cool, cool twist on that kind of dynamic. And I like how we finally yeah. hear people talk about um, the prequels. It's cool hearing Luke Skywalker, a character from the originals, talk about the prequels in regards to Darth Sidious and the fact that the Jedi of the time let this person rise to power and then they all died off. And the, Like, he's mad at the Jedi, for not being able to figure it out, which is kind of cool because it's like what a lot of us have talked about. Like, how did nobody know? It's weird. So I, I like that he references him as Darth Sidious instead of Palpatine or the Emperor. I thought that was really interesting. And yeah, like Austin said, I like that he agrees to train specifically to tell her why the Jedi ways are not what they used to be and why they should end. I also, I guess, I mean, it does make sense also in terms of what Keith is saying. I mean, everything Keith said I agree with, but also... The thing that I think people forget is that Luke is the son of Darth Vader. And people get caught up in this whole thing that Vader was redeemed at the end of Return of the Jedi. Vader was not. He can do what he did to save Luke. He murdered an entire planet. Yeah, he can do what he did to save Luke. That does not redeem him to the world. So think about it from Luke's perspective. Return of the Jedi ends. He's officially alone. Yoda, Obi-Wan, even Vader. They're all gone. So now it's his burden, I guess, to rebuild the Jedi. And the first moment that his nephew starts to show signs of the dark side, why would this guy not try and prevent another Darth Vader from starting? He better than anybody would want to. He knows what Darth Vader is, what that darkness is capable of, and he tries to snuff it out. And I love the line when we finally get the truth where he's like, it was a moment of weakness and I thought it was going to be okay, but there were consequences. He takes out his lightsaber. He doesn't use it, but, you know, it doesn't matter. The fact that he took it out and Ben sees it, that's the consequence. And I love it. I love that he's trying to prevent another Darth Vader and that failure for him. I have to go into hiding, basically. I think this is all cool. It's also nice to see somebody in this franchise try to be proactive instead of just reactive. Because for the rest of this movie, like everybody is always just reacting to what the Sith is doing. The Jedi never try to take matters into their own hands. And Luke actually does, for once, try to, try to prevent another Darth Vader. So it is Luke's fault. And I like that Luke accepts that it is his fault that Kylo Ren rose to power. So it, it's really fascinating stuff. I understand the premise of people being upset that Luke isn't the Obi-Wan which I think everybody probably thought that uh, Luke would be the Obi-Wan figure of this new trilogy. But I like the fact that it's not that. I like that it's different, there's a deeper meaning, and that he doesn't believe in this anymore, and he has a good reason. But then it all comes to circle, and he kind of redeems himself to the Resistance, to his sister, to Rey. Um, yeah, I love the way Luke ends in this movie. I think it's so cool. I'm really happy Luke did not play the Obi-Wan role in this movie because it just would have felt too similar to A New Hope. I know, yeah. I don't know why people would have wanted that. I don't think that would have been 
It's nostalgia. Nostalgia is just powerful. It's the same thing that critics say when when Rogue One or Force Awakens didn't capture the magic of the originals. There's not really a magic of the originals. It's just your nostalgia playing in to how you remember watching those movies and the first time you saw this franchise. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. I was going to say, yeah, he was entirely his own his own man in this one. He wasn't really copying any of the other yeah. Jedi. He was wise. And I, I really enjoyed the uh, the lessons he was teaching Rey, especially the one where she's meditating and uh, she starts going into like the dark tunnel and he just gets pissed at her. Like, like you, he's like, you didn't even try to resist it. You yep. just went straight towards it. I want to talk about that because my biggest question with, with this whole sequence is, and I could just be being an idiot here, is this island the source of the force in the galaxy? No, I think it's just the beginning of the Jedi. I don't even know if it's that. I think all we know for sure is that it was a Jedi temple at some point. So why is there this dark hole that Luke says is the is the source of the dark side? Did he say it's the source of the dark side? I guess side not the it? source, but why why does this dark hole represent the dark side? Like why why is if you lean to the dark side, why did you get called to this dark hole? That I can't answer. The thing that I do like is that whenever Rey is kind of surprised to hear that there is basically dark side on the island, I like that Luke's response is immediately, there needs to be balance. It's kind of him finally accepting that whole thing that the Jedi kind of screwed up in the prequels, which is they kept talking about bringing a balance to the Force. Meanwhile, there's hundreds of thousands of them and two Sith. Now, I'm not saying the dark side's good, but apparently, from what we understand of the Force, there needs to be this balance between light and dark. So Luke, it kind of it's kind of cool that he lives on an island that literally embodies both the Jedi and the Sith. As to why it's there, I don't, I don't fully understand that aspect. Um, yeah, just to be honest, I, I like the concept. I don't understand why it's there. If this is like a Jedi temple, I don't know. Keith, you're a Star Wars super fan. Do you have the answer for me? <laughs> why is this hole here, Keith? <laughs> they got some contractor out there. He dug it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Was that a was that a Sarlacc pit at one point? Which book are they referencing here, Keith? They're referencing Chronicles 432. <laughs> I mean, you know what would be kind of cool? And maybe this is just me giving it more credit. Would it be kind of cool if, like, Luke staying on that island over time, that dark side kind of just manifested itself there? Because that would have been so cool. Conflicted. But it's kind of unclear, like we said, so I don't know. But that would have been interesting. Luke barely even talked to Chewie, one of his best friends. Yeah. Like, barely yeah. even caught up yeah. with him. Yeah, Chewie's whole role in this is weird. It's like yeah, he really doesn't have much to do here. Going with Ray to this island was going to be like cooler. I will say the whole the whole reason Luke starts communicating is because of Chewie breaking in, which is a great scene. And him then they reference the Falcon, which of course makes Luke go where's Han. So the, it starts off great. I do agree. It is a bit weird that there's nothing more than that. I do love the scene where Luke at night on his own enters the Falcon and he starts kind of walking around these familiar parts, turns on the light, sits down, reunites with R2. R2! <laughs> R2 does that cheap shot, as he says it, where he plays R2. the Leia message. I thought that was all great. I would say for people that haven't seen it, there is an amazing deleted scene that I, I can't, I'm kind of surprised they cut it out, but um, it, I guess it must take place pretty soon after um that scene where Chewie breaks in and Luke obviously understands that Han is dead, but there is a deleted scene. That's just like 20 seconds of Luke Skywalker, just sitting in that little hut by himself and just basically breaking down at the, at the news of Han's death, which is kind of cool because obviously oh, yeah. the way this was cool all structured, we really didn't get any Han and Luke stuff. Morning so from it, him. it was cool that we yeah. at least had a scene filmed that showed his emotional response. So I'd recommend people go check that out if you haven't seen it. 
Okay, so let's go ahead and move on. Um, Kylo and Rey do establish a force connection, which ultimately leads to Rey believing Kylo can be turned back to the light. And there's a really great line here where Rey turns to Luke and says, if you're not going to help me, then Kylo is my only chance. And so she leaves to go find Kylo and see if she can turn him to the light side, which leads to Kylo bringing her to Emperor Snoke. Which before that also, what do you guys think of these? Because it, it plays a big part later, but I, I love the way we see new force powers here. I like this force connection. What do you guys think of those couple scenes we got before she leaves of them understanding this weird, like, f- almost like force phone call connection that they can have and communicate with each other and learn more about each other? Did you guys like those? Yeah, I thought it was cool. I, I My favorite one is when um she's explaining what she saw down the down the dark side hole. Um, and you think she's talking to Luke, but then in reality, we learned yeah. she's talking to Kylo. I thought that was pretty I really cool. I like that too. Yeah. That dark side thing is a bit weird, that scene, where I, I kind of get what they were going for later, but she's like, it's supposed to show me what I want. And then she's like, show me my parents. And it's just her, which I, I think is supposed to lead into the whole... Your it reminds me of that like, mirror from the uh, Sorcerer's Stone in yeah, Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of... Yeah, I thought of that too. Vibe. Anyway, yeah. So we had to kind of mention those scenes. I, I like the Force yeah. Connection scenes a lot. I love the relationship between Rey and Kylo, and I'm glad they explored it here. So, yeah, let's keep going. So I think right here we kind of just got to get to Snoke's death. So let's do it. Um, Snoke, you know, does try to kind of get Kylo to kill Rey. Um, ultimately, Kylo ends up using the Force to kind of distract Snoke, and he twists Rey's lightsaber and ends up cutting Snoke in half. One of the more shocking moments, for sure. I mean, I know based on how Snoke was set up in Force Awakens, this was certainly surprising to see him get killed in this manner. And this is this is one of the big things where the internet hates that Ryan Johnson didn't pay more respect to their fan theories about Emperor Snoke. Yeah, and to... um. I guess to agree with that slightly, and Keith mentioned it earlier, it is slightly weird that even after Rise of Sky, I mean, I guess Rise of Skywalker gives us a quick bullshit answer, whatever. It is weird that based on how they set this character up, the way it's handled, we don't really know anything about them or how they rose to power. I know there are some answers coming, but they're very quick and kind of insignificant. But that being said, I think the scene is just choreographed and executed so well, regardless of this character and what he's supposed to mean. I like how Kylo's holding his lightsaber up to turn it on and kill Rey, but at the same time he's using the Force, and I guess Snoke is just, he so believes for some reason, even if he says otherwise, that Kylo wouldn't do this, um, that he doesn't realize that he's also going to kill him. And I love the way it goes through him, and then he just uses the Force to pull it out, and then Snoke just slumps over. It's just, yeah, this whole scene's great, and then it leads to this really cool fight sequence. Did you guys like the fight sequence where they team up for the first time and go after all these guards? Uh, I liked it originally in theaters, but now that I, you know, rewatched it, I caught something I really didn't, I don't think I remembered before, uh, and that is that Snoke really, well, obviously, Snoke really wasn't all that strong as we thought he was, and I like the part where he's, he's just like, just dogging on, um, Kylo, like, I know everything he's thinking, I know his mind, like, he can't, he can't make a decision without me, he can't do anything, and... As he's saying that, Kylo's turning the lightsaber. So, like, really, Snoke wasn't shit. Exactly. <laughs> Kylo yeah. had his number all along. So, yeah, I, I did like that. So, are these guards that are around Snoke, are they supposed to be the Knights of Ren? Or are they someone else? I don't know if they were originally supposed to be, but we do. Spoiler, if you haven't seen Rise of Skywalker and you're watching these along with us. Uh, the Knights of Ren are in Rise of Skywalker. 
they're used so bad. Because Snoke in The Force Awakens says, my apprentice, you're the leader of the Knights of Ren. But then ultimately, it never leads anywhere. I like their designs also in that quick flash whenever Rey touches the lightsaber in Force Awakens. Again, not to shit on J.J. Abrams, but it is a bit weird that literally he just had Snoke say that line about the Knights of Ren and then show them in that quick flash. We do know that the Knights of Ren are the other Jedi trainees of Luke that decided to leave with Kylo, but again, it's like, it was just a bad setup in Force Awakens, and then I guess they just expected Ryan Johnson would use them. I have heard people say, like what you said, Austin, that the guards here were supposed to be them, like later on, but again, they are in Rise of Skywalker, so I don't know. I have no idea. Either way, the fight scene's cool, so who cares? Yeah, it's a really cool scene, and it's really well choreographed, too. Yeah, I think it's so fun. And I love how, like, there's these different, like, crazy weapons, and there's this whip at one point that gets caught around a raised lightsaber, and she flings it, and then it hits the red background that I guess is apparently cloth, and it starts burning. So this fight keeps going, and everything's burning down around them. It's just, it looks yeah, so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and I love the sequence also where he's getting choked out, she tosses the lightsaber, turns it on through the head. I like that we get to see Kylo use the cross guard for once for a good purpose. He like is fighting someone, then someone else attacks. So he turns his sword and catches both of their weapons on his cross guard. So he can kind of just shove them up so he can kind of keep fighting. Like I was like, wow, this is really practical and interesting and just so exciting. Um, that being said, don't love the scene that comes after with uh, Ray and Kylo. It feels like a weird mod of this fight sequence where it's like, okay, cool, they're going to team up and something's going to come of this. And then Kylo's just like, I guess at least he's consistent with the whole let the past die thing. It just feels like, I don't think, even if you guys have gotten close, there's no way Ray's just going to drop everything to come with you and like do, do your own thing. So it is a bit odd and they fight over the lightsaber, it explodes and then, yeah, it's just kind of weird. I think just like Ray believes she can turn Kylo, Kylo ultimately believes he can yeah. also turn Ray. So that's why they're both trying really hard to get the other person to turn. Yeah, and I get it. I guess Ray is more in the right here because she's like, after the fight, she's like, tell him to, there's still time. Turn off the guns. Get the fleet out of here. Um, but then Kylo's just like, eh, whatever. Let's just do our own thing. So it's like, well, she has she has a reason for you guys to stop shooting. You don't have a reason to keep shooting. <laughs> so it's kind of odd. Yeah, she just assumed that yeah. that because he killed Snoke that, oh, he's turned Basically. now. But really, he just killed Snoke just for his own benefit. He didn't give a shit about <laughs> being good. So this does take us to the Resistance attempted escape of their flagship, where ultimately the Force Order figures out their plans. This then causes Admiral Holdo to do her lightspeed jump into the First Order fleet. What do you guys think about this whole sequence? It's awesome. I mean, I love it. I love the music all goes away and... The way they shoot it, we just see them go hyperspeed through the ship. And yeah, simple as that. I like the way it looks. It's really dark and we just see like the slow-mo and the still shots. It's it's really cool. I love it. Um, I like that how this was the one in a million chance. Like, I, I got to give people more time. I'm the only one on the ship. I'm just going to go for it. And it's really cool. Yeah, and I know last time I kind of talked about how there's always one scene from a Star Wars movie that sticks with me when I see it from theaters, and this is the scene in this movie that stays with me. I remember the first time I saw it on, on the big screen, it just it looks so cool, and it just took my breath away. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it definitely redeemed my my uh, thoughts on uh, Laura, Dern's, Laura Dern's character, uh, Holdo. I don't know if we discussed it earlier, but remember... Poe was trying to pretty much do a mutiny on her. That's because... the part, Keith. That's the part where it doesn't make sense anymore why she won't say her plan to me. It's like, I get why before that, but 
now even, it's odd, I feel like. I think she's just frustrated. I know, but I mean, she should get why. She's saying nothing to these people. I get why you don't need to respect Poe because he's a lower rank, even lower now, but... Yeah, keep keep going. I'm just saying it would have been yeah, it would have been easier if she just would have said it from the beginning, like, "Hey, I'm gonna stay and y'all go." But she was like, "We're all gonna go," and that's why Poe was mad. He's like, "Well, no, if we all go and we're all gonna die. They're just gonna shoot all the all the uh, the pods out of the air or out of this out of the space." And um, so yeah, I thought it was pretty cool that she, you know, at the end there says, "Hey, I'm gonna I sacrifice myself." And oh, and I wasn't really expecting that. I thought she was gonna turn the ship around and and start shooting them. I wasn't expecting them to use the the light speed so yeah that was a really cool concept and like like y'all said it was cool how like the music just went silent and then that did just show like all the particles from the and debris from yeah, the ships so for sure yeah i liked it a lot and i like that it's only the ships in her path that are destroyed too like i'm glad there's not this big grand explosion where the entire fleet gets wiped out i like that it's literally the only ships that are directly yeah. in her path and the rest of the fleet is able to survive i think it's really well shot mm-hmm. yeah for sure Okay, so this does take us into our final sequence on Crate. We have Finn and Rose crash landing back onto the planet and Kylo's stolen ship. We have the Resistance fortifying their bunker and preparing to defend themselves. And then we have the First Order forces preparing to lay siege to the Resistance bunker. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. We get a, another new planet here that resembles Salt Lake City, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and yeah, it was cool how uh, Finn and Rose were able to go underneath the uh, the big door. They're really lucky they didn't murder like 15 of their co-soldiers though. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. What if they just ran into everybody? <laughs> I forgot that was even them. <laughs> and we do get one of my favorite lines here when the, when the soldier is setting up and he licks his finger and he goes, That was so stupid. Salt. I laughed so hard at that. Just like licks it and then yeah, I did too. salt. Like, yeah, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Dude, when they bring out these speeders, though, it's so cool. It's such a visually pleasing scene. It might be one of my favorite, like, sequences of events in Star Wars. Um, it just looks like blood all over this planet with the way the sand is colored. And you can see, like, the different yeah. uh, lines and pathways that the speeders take. And then also you can see the footprints of the walkers. It's just, it's such a cool scene. Yeah, it's awesome. I love how it looks, too, visually, because you just look at it from behind all these speeders and you see what's on the horizon, all these huge walkers. And it just looks like a suicide mission, basically. And even their speeders, they even say are all run down and broken, but it's all they have. And yeah, I really love this initial part. And obviously it kind of takes a turn where they have to retreat because they have this huge weapon. That's really scary. It's going to blow down the door and then things get a bit more interesting from there. Yeah. I I remember anticipating this scene, uh, before I watched it, because this this was in the one of the original trailers, seeing these, so I was like, "Oh, man, how are they going to get to that?" Does this remind you of Hoth, though? This sequence? Yes, it reminded me of Echo Base. Yeah, the same kind of deal. Yeah. No, I think there's some similarities for sure with like the walkers and the types of speeders and how it looks and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it's really cool. Okay, so let's now touch on the Rose and Finn interaction. Matt, I know you felt this looked weird when you saw it. Why don't you break it down for us? I mean, it's just silly. It's like it kind of makes sense that he's going to try and sacrifice himself. Would it make sense at this point for Poe to do so based on the story and the arc that he's built up since the beginning of this movie? But Finn doing it for the Resistance, not for Rey for once. He's not doing this for Rey, which always seems like his motive. He's doing this. He joked at the beginning that, like, you know, I'm not... I'm not actually in the resistance. I'm not a resistance fighter, but here he actually is. So it's pretty cool. And I feel like this sacrifice would have meant something. It would have been powerful. Um, And even though he 
doesn't die. I don't think that's a huge problem. I just ultimately think the way they choreograph this scene where Rose quote unquote saves him is just so odd looking. She just comes out from the side and crashes into him. And it's just weird because it's like you're trying to prevent this guy from dying, but easily could have killed him with this. Obviously could have killed yourself as well. And um, then they both get out. Finn goes to her and yeah, it's just, yeah, like I said, it's just a bit silly. Because it's like, she has this line about, we can't fight against what we hate. We have to fight for what we love. And even then I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of a good line, I guess. And then she kisses him and it's like, whoa, that's weird. That wasn't set up at all. That seems odd. Even Finn has this look on his face where he's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. That was weird. He doesn't really react to it. Then she passes out and then it's like, okay. And somehow he's able to drag her back into the base without anybody killing them. (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> just I, I don't love this scene. I don't like that this is the cap off to their story. It just seems forced, unfortunately. Again, no pun intended. Yeah, the sequence of Rose crashing into Finn looks weird to me. It, it looked weird looked weird to me in the theaters. It looks weird to me on a rewatch. Um, I, I hate the way that shot. It, it just looks so dumb. Um, the line of her saying, like, we got to fight for what we love, not for what we hate. Um, that works fine for me. Even her kissing him works for me, mainly because of Finn's reaction. Like, I like that he's surprised by it. I can see why Rose would fall for him just because of his personality and because he is this, like, big rebellion hero. Um, so I think the only reason this kind of works for me a little bit more is just because of the way Finn reacts to all this. Him and Rose saying, I thought that was kind of dumb. I mean, it was just that the line was okay, but it just was inserted in the wrong moment. I mean, you're in the middle of battle, like, realistically... Why you wouldn't have that much time to have like a full-on love conversation right there. I mean, you would need to be getting out of yeah. there as soon yeah, as possible. So, And also in the context, I know people, some people don't like this because they feel like they were setting up a Finn and Ray romance. And my thing is like, I don't think that was any more earned in Force Awakens. Yeah, they went on this journey together. I don't think they had any romantic chemistry. So like, I'm not mad at this because he's not kissing Ray at the end of this movie. You know what I mean? It just, it didn't work because they didn't set up this relationship. And also to Keith's point, I'm not going to bring spoilers into it. If you haven't seen Rise of Skywalker yet, and you're just somebody listening along with us, but they don't do anything with Finn in the next one. So it's like, it's kind of how I felt about the Force Awakens. At the end of Force Awakens, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. I love Finn. I love how his story is wrapping up. It's perfect arc. And there's not more, there's not really much else to tell, but then they brought him back for last Jedi. And I was like, Okay, that's, that seems a bit odd. And they give him his own story where he's kind of the lead of the story with Rose. And I, I liked a lot of it. I didn't love it, as we've talked about. But at least when it gets to this end, when he's sacrificing himself, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what this is led up to. Like Keith, you said, it's like, that's kind of weird that like we spent so much time with them and they failed their mission of like stopping the tracker. But if he had sacrificed himself, it would have at least meant something emotionally and it would have led to this moment. So whenever she saves him, it makes me go again. What the hell? What what else are we going to do with this character? How is he going to be in another movie? And spoiler alert, I don't know why he was in the next one. The next one is just him running around yelling Ray's name over and over again like in Force Awakens. It's not interesting. <laughs> and I love John Boyega, and I'm sure he wanted to, you know, obviously be in as many of these movies as he could. But for the sake of the character and where they were going, I just feel like he has no business being in it at this much. And I love him, but it just, it feels like we've now had two opportunities at the end of these movies to kill him off and have it mean something. And they just let him survive. And in the next movie, they do something less interesting with him. All right. Now we have to get into Luke and his arrival on crate. He comes in, he has a nice little moment with Leia. He walks out to face Kylo Ren in the first order. 
I'm glad that since we didn't get any Han, Luke, Leia stuff all together in this friend in this trilogy, I should say. I love love this scene with Luke and Leia is awesome. I love this scene. I like that because the way the um, originals were kind of structured, we didn't actually get too many sibling moments with them because he finds out at the very end of Empire, and they're really only together, kind of acknowledging their sibling relationship in Return of the Jedi, but they're barely on screen together. So here. This was actually really cool to see, and it feels like siblings haven't seen themselves in in forever. And I have to be honest, I I got a little bit teary-eyed watching this scene, watching how they both feel to each other. I think these performances in this scene from both sides is great, and I think it's a mixture of nostalgia and the the dialogue back and forth that really got me this time. Like I really felt kind of sad, and knowing this is Luke's last stand ostensibly, and Leia is leading just a fraction of what the resistance used to be yet he like holds her hand and you know he's kind of he doesn't say han's name but he's clearly talking about han and they both have this great moment and he's honest with her about how he doesn't think he can save ben anymore and she as the mother acknowledges that too it's just so many emotions it really got me this time i thought this was a beautiful scene and just capped off so perfectly with him walking by 3PO 3PO acknowledging him and just him giving just a wink. I thought it was so perfect. What did you guys think of this kind of this weird um, entrance along with this kind of original trilogy reunion with these characters? Yeah, it was definitely a nostalgic, especially with the uh, the 3PO thing. But yeah, it was a good scene. You, you can definitely feel the uh, the brotherly, sisterly love here that you didn't really get too much, like you said, in the, uh, the original trilogy. So, and you can tell that they were both kind of heartbroken about Han, but that they knew they had been through a lot together. So they kind of, that's why he was kind of saying his goodbyes. And I like how he's trying to apologize to her, but she kind of won't let him because she knows what he's going to say. And it feels very Leia and also very Carrie Fisher. I kind I really like that too. I like how, ah, don't worry about it. I know what you're going to say. Let's just get past it. You know, we're siblings, whatever. I love you anyway. This scene right here is why if you're Mark Hamill, you pay for 30 years of acting classes because you can then deliver <laughs> You can deliver in a moment like this. It's such a great moment for his character. He gives such a good performance here. It's so emotional, um, way more emotional than anything I feel like that happens in the originals. Um, I, lo- I love him handing her the dice from the Falcon. I thought that was a great moment as well. Yeah, it's great. So now we have to touch on Kylo and Luke's interaction. I love the scene here yeah. where Kylo's up in the walker and he sees Luke come out and he just goes, <laughs> train every single gun we have on that man. I think it's great. Yeah. So good. I love these like few moments we get of Kylo as the new Supreme Leader and Hux like kind of challenging him, but not. And yeah, I love Kylo's immediate reaction. Just fire every gun we have at that man. And whenever, again, I keep referencing when I saw it the other time in theaters, but whenever that first shot goes off and it just hits him, it's a weird scene because of the way we know the salt works, where it's like, it has those red crystals that we saw the Falcon flying through. So whenever it hits and you see this cloud of red, I was like, Oh my God, did Skywalker <laughs> just blow up? I know. Like, I thought I that so too. Confused. And then every other gun starts firing and then it cuts to all the people in the resistance looking in like, Oh my God, this is what we were hoping for, but nothing came of it. But dude, all these ATAs just fucking firing at him. He just walks out, brushes his shoulder. I was like, Oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that was bad. And I love the scene where they get into kind of their duel. And uh, um, I think overall, overall, the Luke and Kylo fight is a little underwhelming just because it's it, not a lot happens in it. But I do like I do yeah. like the moment when Kylo realizes that Luke's not really there. This moment is certainly, I would say, way more about character 
relationship and development than actual like lightsaber choreography. Like you said, while I don't love how it looks in terms of a fight, I do love the scenes and the dialogue between these characters because this is the first time we're getting it. We've heard so much in the past two movies about what Kylo and Luke's relationship could and has been. And now we get this really cool confrontation. So this was awesome. And I loved it. I loved what comes of it. It's it's so just badass and sticking it to Kylo. And it's basically like, I can't save this kid, but I will give him one last chance to hope for the best. It's like, if you strike me down, man, I'm going to haunt you forever, just like your father does it anyway. And then he gives him the old Han Solo see around kid. It's awesome. And it also calls back to that great scene wherever... <laughs> the funny scene where he asks Ray what she thinks the force is and she's like oh it's this like kind of thing that connects all things and helps you make rocks move and he's like everything you just said was wrong and dude the fucking the little quick montage of sorts we get here where he talks about how he's gonna kill the last Jedi he's gonna squash the resistance the war is over and Luke Skywalker says it's amazing that everything you just said is wrong. And then it cuts to each character watching him as he says, this is only the spark of the rebellion. The yeah, war it's is awesome. not over. And I, and then just the close up of his face with like a tear in his eye. I will not be the last Jedi as it cuts to Ray moving the rocks and letting everybody out. Oh, so good. And then, like you said, that's where Kylo does the final slash realizes this guy's not even there. And is this the coolest force power we've ever seen? This guy is a galaxy away and he's projecting himself not he's he's physically there he holds leia's hand like whoa like i I did not expect this in the theater this was so cool i still just wish i knew what the force was and what the abilities are because every fucking (laughs) movie there's a new force power (laughs) yeah i guess i was i was surprised but you're right we still have no fucking idea what the force is after a million movies (laughs) so that's fair that's fair but cool enough cool enough yeah yeah, real quick, I'll just say that, yeah, this scene was awesome. You know, while everybody, I think, was hoping for, a, like, a lightsaber on lightsaber duel here, it just escalated to something way better, and uh, it really showed, like, the true, like, power of Luke and, like, what he's become and all that, and he just, I thought it was, yeah, it was badass. He made everybody look like like little yeah. bitches out there. He was, uh, he was yeah, uh, he was light years away. Yeah, that's all I had to say, really. It was just straight back. It's also something that new that we haven't seen before either, which is great as well. And also on top of that, it's totally understandable why the Resistance kind of renews their hope here. The fact that Luke Skywalker, this person they've been looking for forever, finally returns. He walks outside, gets hit by a thousand blasts from these walkers, just walks out, brushes it off, just makes Kylo Ren look like a fucking loser. And then just disappears. It's like, whoa, what? Like, it's totally realistic why he's a legend. He, he, he earns his legend status here and gives hope to the rebellion and the resistance to keep fighting it. It's awesome. I think it really, really is cool and leads into what would have been a great follow up film. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also the fact that most of the galaxy thinks the Jedi are a myth, too. Yeah. He's there and all these people can now witness it and spread this message and what they saw out to the rest of the galaxy as well. Which is literally the last scene of the movie too, with all those kids from Canto Bight kind of telling the legend of Luke yeah, Skywalker. Which, yeah. How cool is that that we actually got to see that on like on film in a Star Wars movie as opposed to like us as little kids playing with Legos. Like, oh, I'm Luke 
Luke Skywalker. I'm the legend. Like we actually get to see kids <laughs> in the Star Wars universe, like telling the legend of Luke Skywalker. And it's just such a cool premise. So yeah. Yeah. And so that also does take us into our closing shot where we do see one of those stable hands move a broom with the force. I love it. I love it. So I wish cool. it had been addressed. It was like a little innocent Annie. Yeah, here's what I will say. Again, as I've, I've I've made jokes that like Rise of Skywalker doesn't live up to either of the previous two films, which I do believe wholeheartedly, but I'm okay with this kid not showing up again because I don't know if that was the point. I think all it's supposed to show is that there are people that now believe in the Legend of Luke Skywalker. They kind of understand a bit more about what the forces, know what it can do, and it just shows that they can hope again. This kid who's literally a slave on Canto Bight, here's the story of Luke Are you Skywalker a slave? standing up. <laughs> here's a story of him stand of Luke Skywalker standing up to the first order. And it just gives him hope, man. It's so cool. He walks outside with this broom, which is like, what are they doing with this? And then he looks up to the sky, sees a ship flying by, and then they did a really cool thing where like he kind of moves the broom up a little bit. So in the way the light is, you can't really see the bottom of the broom. You just see the actual stick. So it looks like he's holding a lightsaber. It's so cool. And I loved it. Just It's like people have hope now because of Luke redeeming himself and standing up to Kylo Ren in the First Order. And yeah, I just think it's such a cool ending. I, I don't know why people have a problem with this. I really don't. Like people make fun. They call him Broom Kid, I know. And I don't get why this is such an issue. Like, he, like, used the Force. I mean, so many people have the Force, apparently. So I don't know why it's that, that big of a deal. So I thought it was a cool ending. It's kind of the same way Anakin Skywalker was. He's just this rundown kid who's a, literally a, a stable hand that has the Force abilities. Same way Anakin was just a slave same on Tatooine. Rey. Same with yeah, Rey. Same with Rey. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. There we go. All right. Well, the credits do roll. Um, before we get out of here today, though, we got to run through our new Star Wars rankings. I teased it at the beginning, oh, so I'll go ahead and start us off. Oh, I'm excited. I'm going to go number one, Rogue One. Oh, okay. Number two, The Last Jedi. Yeah. Number three, right. Empire. Number four, Revenge of the Sith. The Force Awakens. The Phantom Menace. Attack of the Clones. A New Hope. And Return of the Jedi. Yeah, number one, Empire, still holds the throne. Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, New Hope. Oh, my God. Phantom Menace, Last Jedi. Oh, my God, (laughs) Keith. I love it. Return of the Jedi, Force Awakens. (laughs) Keith, that's my favorite list of all time. That is big news, though. This is, woo, woo, read all about it, read all about it. Keith moved Force <laughs> Awakens from last. He moved it up one place. So there we go. That's big. I'll take that. That is true. He did have it last in the last movie. That is a garbage <laughs> list, though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Might change the next time. We'll see. I got to think right, about guys. it more. So just to recap real quick before I go. So where did you both, in terms of numbers, one out of like one through nine, where did Last Jedi land on each of your lists? Number two. My Six. list, I'm going to start from the bottom this time, because I feel like the bottom of my list hasn't been changing week to week. So here we go. Number nine, it's Attack of the Clones. I don't know if that's going to change. <laughs> Until next week, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Number eight, Return of the Jedi, the most boring out of all of these. Number seven, The Phantom Menace. Number six, A New Hope. Number five, The Force Awakens. Number four, 
Revenge of the Sith. Here's where things get a bit interesting. And I thought about this for a while. I thought about my top three in particular for a bit. I think I nailed it down. Number three, I'm going Rogue One. Number two, it's Empire Strikes Back. Number one is The Last Jedi for me. It's my favorite and the one I enjoy the most. Nice, I get, nice. I get the most out of this one. I enjoy the characters the most in this. There are obvious issues that we've talked about and made fun of and genuine problems, not just jokes, like small things. There are genuine problems here. I guess my argument is I think those exist in every single one of these movies. So I have to go off which one do I actually get the most out of and enjoy it. So I'm going to put Last Jedi number one. I know that's a hot take, but I'm going to go with it and stick with it. And that's all I can say. (laughs) I respect your list quite a bit, Matthew. Keith, your list makes me want to throw up in my mouth. But (laughs) let's go ahead and close out the show with our award ceremony. Um, If you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award for anything in this episode. Keith probably knows the rules this week, but we never can know for sure. Keith, start us off with your awards. All right. My award is the Best Random Insert of a Famous Actor Award. You know him from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He's also in Vegas in this movie, too. Benicio oh, Del Toro. Okay. Nice, nice. As DJ? As DJ. As, as no, I'm sorry. DJ. <laughs> That's how he talks. Yeah. What a weird use of a stutter in this movie. I'm not sure what they were going for with that. Kind of felt almost a, a more offensive than anything. <laughs> 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 what about you, Austin? What do you feel about an award this week? I'm going to give the ultimate pitmaster award to Chewbacca. The way he's roasting oh. up those porgs on the island. Give me some nice. of that. It looks pretty tasty. Nice. I got to say, I yes. did not expect looking at those porgs that they could be good, but seeing a cooked one, I was like, I can <laughs> it looks that. really good. <laughs> And I kind of want to know, like, what kind of seasoning Chewie was using. I want to know what he was doing with oh, that recipe. Yeah. His little cashew seasoning. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like an old family recipe that Tarful gave him. <laughs> yeah, his brother Tarful. Tarful and his him. stepbrother Han Solo in George Lucas's version. Stepbrother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's good. That's good. All right, Matthew, get us out of here. What's your award today? My award today, look... We all know it. Last Jedi, love it or hate it, the most controversial thing about this movie is Luke Skywalker and how he was handled. But I think there is something that we can all agree on when it comes to Luke, and it's the fact that he deserves... And look, let's get past the obvious. Obviously, Mark Hamill was great in this movie. He deserves a second Mark Hamill Most Improved Award, but we're not going to do that today. We're not going to be obvious. We're going to give Luke Skywalker and Mark Hamill the Strongest Bones Award. And that's because this guy is loading up on calcium. Did you see how many times he drank that blue milk and smiled? <laughs> oh, my after? God. Yeah. Forgot that about cut. He was pressing against that udder, drinking that blue milk, and kind of weirdly getting it all over his beard and spitting it and also smiling after <laughs> taking a swig. So this guy's bones must be just ready for action. He also takes the most dangerous approach to fishing I've ever seen in the movie. <laughs> It's kind of cool. I say. <laughs> Why? So Why? I love that he just jumps off a cliff. <laughs> <It's> like, <"Whoa."> <laughs> Lands on a on <laughs> an inch wide ledge for no reason. But then, <laughs> but then I love when it cuts, and then he just has this huge ass fish across his shoulder. <laughs> I gotta say though, this is the first time that we've done the awards where I was like, 
oh my god, there's still so much to this movie. We didn't give the Yoda scene justice. It was great. But he said, Toro, he sucked. But at the end, I liked how he was like, you destroy them, you destroy them the next day. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. This movie is just overflowing with stuff. Some good, some bad. But hey, I enjoyed watching it again. And I'm glad we got to break it down on this episode. There's no two other people I'd rather talk about this film with. And everyone listening, we're glad you can tune in. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. If you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really does help us continue to grow this show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for our Halloween Spectacular. We've got another bracket coming your way, and we'll be debating the best Halloween movie. Hell yeah, I can't wait for that. It is the season... And we're finally going to break down the best Halloween movies. I can't wait. In the meantime, The Boys, season two, just wrapped up over on Amazon Prime. Austin and I broke down each episode of season two. So go back through our podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. Check those out if you're a fan of The Boys. We broke it down, talked about everything. And we certainly had some controversial takes and opinions. So we got to see if you guys think the same. Yeah, check us out on Instagram, at the Arnie's. Feel free to DM us your thoughts on our Star Wars episodes, our future episodes, anything like that. All right, everybody. We'll be back on Tuesday. We'll see you then. What are we doing solo? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>